0: hey there this is story story late night the positively shameless black sheep of the story story night family where you hear bleepworthy stories on an unblushing theme told live at the adults only visual arts collective garden city idaho i'm artistic director jody Eichelberger. on this podcast we encountered the Story Story stoplight and stopped for stories on the theme Red Light on June 26, 2018. During the slam, we randomly drew names from a race car, and they played in traffic with a five-minute story. But before we get to the slam, we have a special guest story from artist Garth Clausen. Now it's time to take the breaks off. It's story time.
1: Garth Clausen.
2: Thank you very much, Emma. Um, Well, uh, I don't usually do this sort of thing, Um, so I normally lecture art history, you see. I don't do uh, stories at story night. And uh, so if I seem disconnected or lose my track, uh, it's not because I've been smoking weed. It's because I'm doing professor, okay? All right, so let's try the story then. I was five years old when the robots came. <laughs> I don't mean the robots that you see in the movies, you know, the ones that chirp and gibber to one another and maybe explode. I mean the ones that arrived in my hometown, Pietermaritzburg in South Africa, around 1960. Uh, they made their way downtown and they stationed themselves uh, on busy intersections. They were tall, Uh, they had slender torsos which were banded with black and white uh, stripes, and they had big boxy heads, and they had round eyes that changed color from red to green to orange. We did actually call those robots, not traffic lights, robots. (laughs) Well, it makes sense, you see, because a robot is a stand in uh, for a human being. And these were standing in for the policeman with his neat uniform and his white gloves and his whistle. And they were tireless, and they didn't need to take a bathroom break. So um, the robots were quite a thing in 1960 in my hometown. Uh, They were quite a sensation initially, but of course people got used to it. I gave them no more thought after that until uh, I was studying uh, art at the university, the local university, in the 1970s. Uh, and it was at that point that my classmates and I were trying to figure out a kind of an iconography, a set of symbols uh, that would uh, somehow express how we felt about this uh, this obscenity, this uh, uh, terrible thing of apartheid that, uh, of course, was very dominant back then. How there were many approaches. The, the approach I tried really was uh, caricature. I don't mean like in the editorial cartoons, you know, pen and ink drawings, that kind of thing. Uh, What I mean really is that I was making large sculptures that look kind of mechanical in form, uh, and these sculptures were intended to allude to the kind of mechanistic sort of robotic sort of uh, behaviour of these um, uh, white nationalist leaders in South Africa. Uh, In fact, some of the forms that I took, I would go out there and draw lots of machines and stuff. I even drew traffic robots, and those were combined with... Uh, other forms to make these, uh, these, these presences, these, uh, these effigies, if you will. And so, uh, in fact, I had uh, a series called demagogues, and the demagogues uh, had, uh, in addition to their angular forms, uh, they had uh, metal plates that were positioned just about where their mouth, well, where their mouth would have been, uh, and the metal plates were serrated. Uh, so I wanted them to evoke both a microphone, as a demagogue would use, uh, and, and also teeth. Well, they were actually quite good sculptures. Um, i got good grades for them anyway. Um, but I, in retrospect, I think, well, okay, it's all very well if you're wanting to pillory these kind of uh, these horrible people, these, these robotic sort of politicians, uh, it's okay to focus on them. But, of course, these politicians worked within a system, and the system was apartheid. And apartheid was extremely intrusive. It governed every aspect of one's life. Uh, For example, blacks and whites uh, were not allowed to marry nor to have sex with one another. Um, Separate facilities were the rule, so separate schools, universities, swimming pools, pubs, hotels, all the way down to park benches. All of these were part of this kind of system of apartheid. And what that meant was that the white community, which was the minority community, was sort of encapsulated and cordoned off in this little bubble this little right, little, tight, little, white, little world, okay, which did not really allow them to kind of get a sense of what life was like for the vast majority of other South Africans uh, who were not white. And so it was at this point that I realized that key to apartheid was not only the physical boundaries that separated people, uh, but the psychological ones. If you could uh, remove, make people seem removed. Uh, distant, uh, as in the white community, that aided uh, the the, the hold on power. It also blunted the ability to show empathy and compassion. So that was really the origin of uh, the uh, the iconography in my later work, which as you'll see if you look around the walls here, has lots of walls in it. Um, The wall for me was then a kind of a symbol that was both physical and also uh, psychological. So, I was, uh, you know, uh, when I was making these pieces, of course, I had no idea that I would find myself up on a stage (laughs) speaking to you all, (laughs) telling you this unlikely story about robots and walls. So, um, I began to think, you know, gosh, if I had known, what if I had known? Would my show have been any different? I think, yeah, you know. Uh, The pictures would have been much, much bigger. (laughs) They would have been huge, in fact. Um, And uh, they would have not only had walls, uh, they would have had uh, robots in them, lots of robots. Uh, They would have been big, blustering, orange robots (laughs) uh, that would be changing their mind every five minutes. There would be servile green robots who were bowing and scraping. And there would be angry, bristling red robots that would be herding, weeping little robots into cages. Oh, it would have been a fun, fucking fantastic show. <laughs> Actually, there's a really good chance that it would be an awful show and a terrible idea. But it was fun to think about Uh, And for a while I toyed with the idea, only half seriously, that maybe what I could do is, you know, I live in Caldwell, maybe I could just grab my brushes and my paints, drive down here, sneak past Sam at the entrance there, and and try and change my pictures into something more narratively convenient. (laughs) Well, my conscience is an inconvenience to me, and my conscience didn't give me the green light. Thank you.
1: Richard Zane, everybody!
3: All right, I guess this is going to be very spontaneous if you're in for combustion. I've never done red light stories before, and I'm really not a comedian. I just came in here from Maui and thought, <laughs> share a few red light stories or, f- or fakes. I don't know. Truth or foe. Um, oh, my first red light story was, uh, I was in Germany, and I was like 19 years old, and um, my friend was having his bachelor party, so we all took off in a train, if you've ever been to Europe, you know, trains go everywhere. So we were living in a small town called Schaffenberg, and we had off, headed off to Frankfurt, and we're cruising, we're having fun, you know, and over there they sell a lot of hash, you know, and, and uh, we're smoking that, and laughing and giggling, there's like five guys, and it's, our, it's his bachelor party, and God forbid, you know, I really loved his, his girlfriend, that he, he wanted to marry, and all that stuff, so we're heading to uh, Germany, where all our politicians go for the red light district, if anybody's familiar with that. Um, is anybody familiar with that? <laughs> Yeah, you guys know. All right, okay, cool. It wasn't Moulin Rouge, but it was unique. So we get there. It's this cool place, and you know we're having fun and we're cruising through. My buddy Tony's like, he's like, you know, I'm looking around. Tony's the the guy who's gonna get married, and he's looking around. And he's, you know, we've been from from the first floor all the way to the top floor, you know. And we're like, ah, you know. And I'm just like, so which, you know, if you're gonna do this, which one are you gonna go for? And, And so all our friends were like, you know, we're going to pay for it. So they handed him money, and he he pulled me to the side, and he said, hey, Rich, you know, I don't think I can do this. And I said, okay, well, what do we do? So we're cruising around, and we're looking around, and I come around the corner, and this cute girl just grabs me by my hand and kind of pulls me in, and my buddy says, hey, man, I tell you what. I'm going to give you the money. You go have fun with her and when we get out of here, we're gonna tell all the guys I had fun and off we go. So, um, that was my first red light district story. <laughs> uh, uh, it was a little embarrassing, yes, they do ha- did have condoms when I was there and it was,
2: yeah. Um,
3: uh, so, um, oh, another red light story. Uh, Oh God! Well, this one was kind of true uh, <laughs> golly uh, well <laughs> um you ever been with with one of those friends that they're just they're annoying the fuck out of you like really bad and you're 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 out you're going out. You want to have a few drinks, you want to laugh, you want to smile, you want to dance around, right? Right? I mean, come on. Right? Right? When we want to go out, we want to party, right? we I have a good time, woo! Get the music going. So I'm with this friend and so are all my other friends and this guy's like, all he wants to do is shoot, pull, and like drink beer. So we're like, okay, no big deal. We, we let him go and he does his thing and we're having fun, we're doing ours and next thing I know it, it's like, we gotta go. My friend grabs me and we're, he's like, we gotta get out of here. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, Mike's gotten some argument with some guy at the pool table and, and we gotta go. And all right, okay, cool, no big deal. Run outside and we all get in the car and we're driving down the road. And we're just heading out of there. You know, we had a few drinks. I think we had about seven or eight. I shouldn't have been driving. <laughs> but I was the only one that they said, you know, you're driving. So I was like, okay, all right, here we go. So this this dude, and I kid you not, would not shut the fuck up. It was brutal. It was the worst nightmare you could ever have with the most sorrowful human ever. I mean, it was brutal. So it was like, it took us forever. We're in Phoenix, Arizona, right? Hot, desert, just, you know, and one of my dear friends, he's a he's this poet and artist and very classy guy. His uh you know, his level of patience was livid. And I saw him in the rearview mirror, and I was looking back at him, and I've never seen him tapping and like pacing in that seat before in my life. And he's like, if something doesn't change, I'm gonna lose it. So here I start speeding up, I'm just, I can't take it anymore. I step on it, we're in this little red geo with a white top, you know, those geo cars, they don't get, they don't, they don't get much gas, you know, they don't give you much acceleration. But I gunned it, and I turned around, and I looked at this guy, I looked at him, I, looked, I I'm looking at him, and I got that thing floored, right? And I turn and I look, and the light in front of me is redder than red. It is bright red, right? And I turned around and look at him and I said, if you don't shut the fuck up, I'm gonna blow through this red light. And we're like, already through the red light, right? End of the story was we had a white ghost for the rest of the night. That guy never said a word again. <laughs> we blew through about, I slipped between two cars perfectly without a scratch on us, so anyhow. That's my other red light story.
4: (laughs) Becca, just Becca.
1: I love it. Getting comfy, Getting
4: comfy. Cheryl Martin. Why do I remember her name? Because I was 12 years old and something was gonna happen to my body, but I didn't know it. But she did. So Cheryl Martin and I grew up on the naval base. We grew up in Oakland, Oakland Naval Base. And my father was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. And uh, see, I'm getting nervous now. (laughs) So I lived on one side of the base, and she lived on the other side of the base. And Cheryl Martin would come over to my house and play. And uh, we had a little bit of discovery about our bodies together. I do recall one time being in the bathroom, and her um, daring me to show her my parts, which I did. (laughs) And then I recall my mom banging on the bathroom door, going, what are you doing in there? And then I remember her saying, smells like vagina. (laughs) So Cheryl Martin would come to my house and we would have these playtimes And there was one day where Cheryl and I were to play at my house on one side of the Navy base. And we were to walk over the hill past the hospital that had the giant shining red light on top, because you don't want planes to hit it. The red light. Of course, we didn't stop. Red light didn't mean stop in that time. So there was a day where we were to walk over to her house after we played together. Because her mom wanted to, I, I, in my mind, I think it was like she wanted to either have us there for dinner or for lunch or something like that. So, either way, we knew we needed to trek from my house to her house, and we knew we needed to pass the hospital. So, on the journey from my house to her house, were a couple of hills. So, it's the Oakland Hills I lived in. And so, we trekked down a hill, and we trekked up a hill, and we trekked down a hill. Um, and we trek up this one hill, and at this hill, we'd face the hospital. So I'm like 12 years old, and like, this is just a hospital, like, pfft, it's a hospital. It's a building, you know, there's windows. I don't see that there's people in there. You know, like, to me, it's just a building. So we trek over this hospital, and we get, we trek past the hospital, and we trek over this hill, and Cheryl Martin dares me. She dares me to show my vagina. <laughs> to the hospital, so I do, but I do it this way, and she dares me to spread my butt, so I do, so I dare her, show your boobs, and she's like 14, she doesn't have boobs, but she does, So, she dares me to take my clothes off. So I do. I dare her to take hers off, so she does. I dare her to look at my vagina really close. And she dares me. I did it. It's just a hospital. We're just on top of this hill. Nobody can see us. So this is back in a day where there's no cell phones. There's just a red light on top of the hospital that tells the planes, don't fly over. So we probably stayed up there an hour, maybe two hours. And I do recall laying on my back with my legs open (laughs) and Cheryl Martin going. I do remember her touching my breasts, but they didn't exist at the time. So when we were done, we walked over the hill, down the hill, up the hill, up the next hill to Cheryl Martin's house. And we got to Cheryl Martin's house and her mom said, Becca, go home. I know what you did. You need to go home. Your father knows. So I walked home like this past the barracks, down the hill. Well, it turns out my father got home that evening and he says to me, I saw you. and the whole unit saw you. So my father, who was a lieutenant commander in the Navy, was an occupational therapist, and he actually ran an entire unit on the hospital. So he was in charge of one entire floor. The floor that he was in charge of was the floor that overlooked this hill. The reason that he saw me was because he saw all his patients lined up against the windows. And he asked, what's going on? So he walked up and he looked out and he said, that's my daughter. So he called Cheryl Martin's mom and said, the girls are on the hill. And that's how she found out. My father said to me, when, he, when I got home, he said, I think you have enough shame. We're good.
5: Harley. Okay, so um, let's see. The story is, which you probably are thinking this was yesterday, but my junior year of college. um, (laughs) And I lived um, in an off-campus, well, not off-campus, I guess kind of off-campus, but walking, biking distance house. And um, I know, it's like, it's just the shaking. Anyway, so I was meeting a, a friend in my program at the library to study, and we, <coughs> sorry, we, we uh, um, so we were meeting at the library, and I was thinking, oh, like it was, it was in the afternoon, and it was um, in May, so it was hot, and so I wanted a smoothie, and I thought it'd be really rude to show up with a smoothie for myself and not one for her, and so I went to Tree City and grabbed two smoothies, and was meeting her at the library, so um, I. Normally, you would bike just because I'm a last minute person, so walking you have to kind of plan a little bit more for and I never really planned for that, so I needed to be the, uh, on campus quick and so bike was quicker. And so same with the smoothies, like yeah, I don't have time to get there now, so I need to bike with two smoothies. so um, <laughs> so I had the two smoothies and I mean I'm, I'm actually a decent biker't I, I don't know what skills that requires, but I have them, I think so so i'm no no question in my mind that this is gonna be a problem, um so I'm on my bike and it's maybe a block from campus, like I'm so close, and you know on campus there's tons of crosswalks with signals that people follow, like you don't really not follow them, so I didn't really think about that, I mean, so I was thinking well um i I thought of it actually halfway through the block there thinking. Oh, the signal's on, so I can go, but it's still pretty far away. And I have to make that signal because, remember, two smoothies and a bike with brakes here, <laughs> smoothies here. And I don't know where the stopping ever didn't occur that I couldn't do, um, so it didn't ever occur. So, yeah, the light's the lights uh, green to walk, um, but, you know, as you can probably picture, it doesn't stay that way. And by the time I get to it, it's not green, it's red to walk or bike. And so in this like probably five seconds, I went through a lot of emotion, like I can do this, I can do this, uh, I'm gonna stop. Nope, I'm not gonna stop. Yep, I'm gonna stop because there's some cars and I've gotta stop. So there, the crosswalk signals have those big poles. Um, <laughs> stopping was hitting, like curving, hitting the pole with the smoothies And you know the styrofoam cups. Like my fingers went through the styrofoam (laughs) cups, Um, and smoothie, and sidewalk, and and people everywhere, Um, because it's campus, University Drive. And so, yeah, I get up like well, like a lot of things happened because I couldn't really hide what just happened. It was covered in smoothie, um, and. I think I scooped up part of my smoothie because those are expensive. I want that smoothie. And now I, it's, yeah, so I, I, I think I probably, I, I couldn't litter either. Even. So I took, <laughs> I stuck one in my backpack because it had smoothie anyway. And <laughs> I get to the library <laughs> late, which she was already planning for that, I think, anyway, because it's me. And, uh, yeah, we, we shared my fourth of a smoothie but that's not the best part of this whole thing, because how many of you know about Yik Yak? So if you don't, it's it's not, I don't know if it's still popular, I didn't even use it at the time, but it's like an anonymous Twitter um, that people can post on if they're in a certain area, and they can make comments about other people, about the place they're at, and it's a college thing, because campus is an entertaining place to make anonymous comments. So. Uh, the day gets over, I'm home, it's in the evening, and one of my roommates, um, he was a big Yik Yak fan, I guess. <laughs> he was on Yik Yak and um, was just, you know, we're all sitting around he just reads funny ones out loud. And he reads this one out loud. The poor girl, to the poor girl who was biking with smoothies and, and fell, I think that probably hurt, but you handled yourself well. I don't know, this long thing, and I was sitting there like, Anyway, oh, yeah, that was me, and he's like, yeah. And I no, that was me. And that smoothie stain on the sidewalk was there for four weeks after, because it was hot and no rain, and yep. So anyway, that was my story. <laughs> Daria, everybody.
1: Um, hi. So um, I have a sister who I love with all my heart. And she's here tonight, thank you sister, for encouraging me to tell the story. Uh, This is in your honor because this story is because of you, but it happened to me. So I am a runner. Actually, I like to run. I'm not really a runner. I'm a big girl who likes to run and therefore I am really, really sweaty. So for those of you out there who understand what this looks like, you can envision it. It's July, I'm on the green belt and I'm running. Let's flash back two days. My beautiful sister is at the dermatologist because we're fair-haired, strong Polish women, which means we're at risk for melanoma. So my sister is at the dermatologist and she is a triathlete because we are strong. Did I mention that? (laughs) And they're having a conversation. She and the dermatologist who, side note, is supposed to be old, white, and unattractive. (laughs) However, this one is young, looks like a surfer, has dark hair, and his name is Alex. So sister and Alex are having a conversation about their triathlon workouts. And she, he's saying, yes, I've been taking some time off. I've been doing P90X. Have you done P90X? And she says, yes, I have. It's hard. And he said, yeah, I even did the yoga. And the yoga is so hard. I got a great workout. And she said, my sister does yoga. My sister did some yoga and it was so hard and she was so sore. What was it called? It was called Kama Sutra. (laughs) My sister did Kama Sutra yoga and she couldn't walk for a week. (laughs) So needless to say, everybody froze. And they looked at her and said, Tiana, sister, do you know what Kama Sutra is? We're prude, so the answer is no. No, we don't. And she said, obviously not, if you're all staring at me like I'm crazy. And he said, well, This is the lovely Alec, right? He said, well, that's Indian sex poses. And she goes, oh God, no, no, that is not what I meant. And starts laughing hysterically, calls me on the phone. You're never gonna believe what I just did to you. My appointment, now here we are with me running on the greenbelt in July, two days later. Phone call. Dara, did you know your appointment at the dermatologist is in 10 minutes? (laughs) Uh, no. I'll be right there. So I speed work back to the car. Get in the car, drive to the dermatologist's office. I am sweaty. (laughs) I get inside, I sit down, I say, I am so sorry I'm late, but I am here. So they say, great, we'll check you in, have a seat. So I can't really sit on the chair because by the way, I'm sweaty. So I sit, I get up full body print on the chair. (laughs) Full, butt print, back print, I'm all there. Come on back, great, thank you. So I make it back to the office. Here is your paper gown, please put it on. Okay. So I put the paper gown on and guess what? It sticks. (laughs) And I don't know if there are runners in the audience or not, but if you are, you understand, you don't have anything on under your running clothes. (laughs) So I am naked with the paper gown. So what do I do? I'm waiting, I'm hot, I'm dripping, sweaty. So I find a magazine and a vent and I stand in front of the vent, and I kinda just dry out a little. Just a little ventilation to the system. Right? And it's feeling okay, I think I'm not dripping, and in walks Alex! (laughs) And uh, so I sit down on the bed, which, P.S., is paper. (laughs) And I said, well, I have two moles you need to look at. uh, One on the front, one on the back. And he says, well, stand up. Let's take a look at it. And I say, okay. What do you want first? And he goes, well, I don't know, because he, I do not think, realizes at this point, I'm in the buff, because that doesn't happen at the dermatology office. <laughs> Clothes stay on there. So he picks up the front and goes, oh, oh, okay, okay. Okay. And what I don't know, so I turn around. Might as well have it all. Here it is. There it is. So he says, okay then. So I hop back up on the table and he says, well, I have two moles I need to take samples from and I say, great. So I lay down, he takes the sample and he says, okay, turn over. Well, first of all, that's not true, I lied. I went face down first, because we figured a Mooney was first, (laughs) because a Mooney was a little less embarrassing than a Sunny, (laughs) right? So I lay face down, and I go to turn over, and I am so sweaty, paper is ripping (laughs) off the table. Yep, there it is, people. I lay down on my back. I'm like, oh, dear God, for real. And he says, let me, get, let me get this mole. So he's very professional. He checks the mole. He takes a sample. And he says, actually, roll back over. And I say, sure. So I roll back over and the paper rips and sticks in my butt crack. how you save yourself in this situation. I do not know. So, he picks it out. And I said, well, there you go. There it is, people. So now there's no paper on the table and I am in a plank position because I'm pretty sure they don't want my sunny side on the table. Scurry, scurry, hurry. Oh God, oh God, what do we do? Find some towels to put down. She puts them down. And I said, um, by the way, Tiana is my sister. And it was Ashtanga yoga. It was Ashtanga, not Kama Sutra. Thank you everybody.
0: Thanks for listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our story party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Anna Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Nicholas Warden, and me, Jody Eichelberger. Thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Red Light Show sponsor, Sue Dahlgren of Group 1 Sotheby's International Realty in Boise. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evitt, with podcast production by Stephen Baldassari, featuring live music from Thomas Paul and Friends support this story program find upcoming shows and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on soundcloud facebook and youtube at story story night